He was in Edinburgh in a, a graveyard. He, he liked to visit morgues and graveyard. It was a big Victorian thing. But he was in this graveyard and he saw a gravestone that said Ebenezer Scrooby, Scroggy. Um, and underneath it, he read Mean Man. And he thought, wow, how hated do you have to be by everyone to have them put that on your gravestone? Hi, and welcome to a very special edition of And If Love Remains. I am your host, Mike Lovett, and I am thrilled and pleased to have Aubrey Jolly on the show today, and we're going to talk a little Christmas Carol, a little Charles Dickens. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you. You are my Dickens expert. Well, if I'm all you've got, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful to have you. Thank you. So so, um, let's talk, first of all, like, before and and uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot just a little bit, but I want to ask about you first. Okay. Um, what got you interested in literature, Dickens? Like, why has this become a love of yours? I was born into this world with a love of books. I taught myself to read by peeking around the corner while my mother was teaching my older brother. So I learned how to read when I was four, and I've never been without a book since. And Dickens, I fell in love with probably around 13 and great expectations and it just wait wait wait, that's the one you fell in love with yeah (laughs) (laughs) i remember reading that book and not falling in love with it (laughs) um i was somewhat of an unusual homeschooled kid and and rather morbid and loved the morbid (laughs) nature of great expectations that's awesome wonderful and what um what is it about Dickens as a writer that you enjoy? Like, what's about style or his prose? Like, what is it that you like about him? He has brilliant characterizations. He understands um, human nature in so much as he can make it extreme, but also make it easy to relate to. Um, yeah, you've got innocence and purity and you've got the extreme villain and you have the um, ability to sympathize and for instance a christmas carol with both the innocent people of a christmas carol and the villain in the end you're sympathizing with and you're hoping for the best for him that's actually true that's a shocker (laughs) like the villain becomes the the protagonist right <laughs> in the end we're all the villain trying to become the hero <laughs> ah, okay so we're getting into the weeds a little bit that's awesome let's talk about a christmas carol let's talk about charles dickens right. who was he and why did he write this book he was 31 in 1843 he had a uh, a wife. I think he had five kids at this point. By the end of 1843, his wife was super pregnant. She was always super pregnant at the end of the year until they had 10 kids. And uh, he had just published Martin Chuzzlewit earlier in the year, and it didn't do very well. Uh, he thought it was the best thing he'd ever written, and everyone reading it didn't. Would you agree, or have you read it? um, I've watched adaptations, but not been interested enough to read it yet. (laughs) Okay. But early in the year of 1843, he went and toured a mining camp and what they called a ragged school up in the north of England. A ragged school was a school for the poor. I mean, they were falling down the... They didn't have a lot in the—they didn't treat the kids well. They didn't have food. They they didn't have a good environment to learn in. And he, he saw, again, the working conditions of the mines and of the factories. And that kind of thing always sat with him because he grew up poor. Mm-hmm. And his family had been in debtor's prison when he was a kid. So he got it, and he, he understood the plight of the poor, but he also— wanted to convince all of these people working in the factories that they needed to educate themselves. They needed to educate their children so that they could improve their situation. Mm -hmm. And so he was thinking, I need to write 
I need to write a pamphlet. I need to write an article that will impress upon everyone the need to help the poor and to help the uneducated. And then later, a little later in the year, he read the second parliamentary report on the working conditions of women and children and was absolutely appalled and again said, I have to do something powerful to convince people of the situation. And it came to him that an article wasn't going to be the way he needed to do it, but a story would be a lot more powerful because that's where his power lied, was in the power of narrative. And so he was thinking about it and thinking about it. And (laughs) the funny thing, he was in Edinburgh in a a graveyard. He, He liked to visit morgues and graveyard. It was a big Victorian thing. But he was in this graveyard, and he saw a gravestone that okay. said, Ebenezer Scrooby, Scroggy. Um, and underneath it, he read, Mean Man. <laughs> and he thought, wow, how hated do you have to be by everyone to have them put that on your gravestone? But he looked at it again, and it said, A Meal Man, because he worked in corn. He, okay. he was a farmer. <laughs> but it got him to thinking how how mean do you have to be? What kind of a person do you have to be that nobody likes you? And that's what they put on your gravestone. So the wheels were turning. And so that went through his head and went through his head and he ended up with the name Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's what was the catalyst for the whole story because he always came up with a character name first and then the story would follow oh, around it. I didn't know that. So So for him, his workflow, as they say today, was to come up with a character, mm-hmm. and then how did that character... Right, then the character would live in his head and develop the story for him. Interesting. But once he had this idea, he went to his publishers, and he's like, I want to write this story, and I want it out by Christmas, and I want it to have a red cover, and I want it to have green end pages, and I want it to have color illustrations. And wow. they're like, man, you're crazy. Martin Chilton didn't do well. <laughs> <laughs> And it's expensive to print with color, and you're insane. And in the end, he's like, no, this is how I want it. And so he agreed to pay for the printing costs. And so they're like, okay. But he wow. he, he had six weeks before Christmas. And he's like, okay, I got to get it done. So the story says that he spent every night walking the streets of London, an average of like 18 miles a night, and composed the story in his head. And had it done from idea to publication in six weeks. And then it was published December 19th of 1843. It is remarkable how many greats of great works of art happen in that way. And it's right. funny. It's, it's, it's like like we talk about um, Handel's Messiah. Right. We talk about, you know, other works that happen. Very Frankenstein was right. really fast. Not that I would consider that on the same level of either of these. But, but, but these, yeah, but it is definitely a great work of burst art. Burst of inspiration yeah, it, it happens Mozart super was, quickly. I think, um, but I think the part that people don't think about, or maybe maybe it's just me that doesn't think about it enough, is all the work that went into it. Like, like it wasn't, um, it wasn't the fact that that uh, it just came to him in six weeks. It was the fact that he walked the streets. Right. For 18 miles a day. He visited what they they called rookeries, which were really the slums of London. He visited them and saw all the conditions late at night. And just that was pressing on his mind. And the more he walked, the more he saw, and the more it influences the story. But oddly enough, those seem to be some of the bits they leave out are the really depressing, sad bits with the, the super poor people. <laughs> when you say they, are you talking about depictions of it? Yes, yes. Adaptations, depictions on screen or on stage. Because yeah. it's rather hard to um, add those bits in <laughs> on stage, right. at least. Well, I could see a, a director thinking of it being superfluous. You know, like, we've, we already know the poor is poor. We know their, their lot is terrible. But I think, you know, if it reminds me of um, the movie Rocky. What makes that movie so unique? One of the ways it makes it unique is it takes so long for the story to develop. You go through the the life of Rocky Balboa, mm. and and like you just see kind of the miserable chum that he is, and you just kind of see like 
you see his environment and what the what he was all about before the story actually happens. And it sounds to me like a like a, a Dickens was trying to do that same thing of, of putting us in the in this state of of understanding why the story was important. Right, but oddly enough, that doesn't show up really until the Ghost of Christmas Present. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit. So it was written in six weeks, mm-hmm. and and it sold out its first publication um, between the nineteenth and the twenty fourth. That's was sold out, but because it was so expensive to make, and he charged six shillings a book, he only made two hundred pounds off of it and he was hoping to make a thousand so but (laughs) so they went into a second publication but by that point in january it had already been pirated and reprinted by other people and it was also in january five different production companies put it on as a stage production there were really really bad copyright laws so it was super pirated and he never made a lot of money that first year off of a christmas carol that's really interesting that's really wow. He ended up having to do speaking engagements and found Talk that found that dramatic readings of it oh. made him the money. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> what um uh if, first of all the title, a Christmas Carol. I mean, it seems so obvious now, but um where do you know where he came up with it or, or how that came to be? Well, I do know that carols traditionally were the songs of the country, the songs of the folk people, and they had carols for all the year. But now we just have Christmas carols primarily because of this book. Okay. Um, but you had carols and then you had Christmas hymns. And in the Victorian era is when they just sort of melded together and became Christmas carols, all of them together. Um, I do know in, I think it was in Martin Chuzzlewit, he wrote a little Christmas Carol song and set it to the English tune of Old King Cole. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, I I don't know. I only can surmise or suppose why he chose it as a title. Yeah. It's a great title. I mean, you it is, come with a better title. But if you think about the, the journey of it, it's not very long, but there's mm-hmm. this massive journey um, from darkness to light, and I, that's yeah. Talk about rather it. It like is, a all Christmas. It is Christmas a short girls. book. Like it's not a. It's not. A, I mean, I you almost call it a novelette. Than a, a novella. No, yeah, <laughs> than, a, than a novel. Right. It, it is. It's short. It's it, you have clear characters, um, um, and so he comes up with Ebenezer Scrooge, and and, and so just talk a little bit about the story, the setting. Like what what are we when we start reading? A Christmas Carol, what are we um, contending with? What, what's going on? Well, you begin with that really famous line, Marley was dead to begin with. And that sets the tone for the whole story. You know that if Marley's not dead, there's not really a story. Uh, but Marley is dead and has been dead as a doornail for seven years. And then you, you see Scrooge. Ebenezer as this just grumpy, miserly, mean man who like closes the door on Christmas carolers, shoves out the the people looking for donations, and you know is really rude to his very lovely nephew, and miserly with his clerk. Um, he says he has one little candle to work by, and he has one little uh, piece of coal that he's trying to keep warm by. And he's just so cold, but he won't ask for another piece of coal because Mr. Scrooge will get mad. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, the whole story revolves around Scrooge, and yet he's just this miserable dude. Like, yeah. There's nothing redeeming about him. He's he's hard and cold like the winter. Right. It's just that heart that's frozen, and you see that element showing up a lot in literature fairy tales. Hans Christian Andersen uses the allegory of the frozen heart that needs to be melted um, in Snow Queen, for instance. But you have Ebenezer Scrooge with his frozen heart in this frozen room mm-hmm. of this frozen city, and <laughs> then you you um, see the juxtaposition of this really lovely nephew. And, and the Full conversation, and- yeah, and, and the nephew doesn't let anything his uncle says get to him. Yeah. And he says, I wish you a Merry Christmas anyway, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. Um, and, and I think about, 
like the idea of being frozen like to me that's that's the idea of being frozen almost like frozen in time like he's he's stuck he's mm-hmm. he's incapable of living he's incapable of um you know getting past as we learn later the things that that broke his heart right and mm-hmm. and you know um um you know it's interesting that that's that's the setting that he starts us in um so, so what happens next? So, so got- okay, so he leaves work for the night after telling Cratchit, fine, have the day off. Right. And goes home, goes to open the door, and the knocker changes. He doesn't see how it changes, but Marley's face is in the knocker. And it sort of freaks him out a bit, and he thinks, what has happened to me that this is happening? <laughs> and he yeah. shakes it off and goes in. And um, he, they say, it says he lives in just one little room. He's rented out everything else in this house as offices. So he lives in this one cold little room and eats, a, you know, this miserly little supper. Uh-huh. And <laughs> then you get the visitation of Marley, which begins with the sound of chains being dragged across the floor with footprints, mm-hmm. footfalls, and, you know, comes right through the door. And there is Marley, who looks just like he did and is looking at him just the way he used to look at him. and Which is interesting because when you do see depictions of that, oftentimes he's a little grotesque. He's very, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, but he says he looks just like, he looked at him just the way he always used to. Yeah. And... <laughs> And and so then he's like, eh, I don't really know what what this is. And and Marley's like, You don't believe in me. He's <laughs> don't. He's like, No, you can be on digested food for all I know. You know, so he's classic atheist. <laughs> yeah, classic <laughs> classic skeptic. And yeah, prove yourself to me, kind of thing. Right. But he he begins to talk to him about why he's there and tells him once Scrooge asks about the chains, why the chains? He says, well, these are the chains I forged in life. We all forge chains when we make choices to be unkind or ungenerous. Um, And he said, your chains were just as heavy as mine. And that was seven years ago when I died. And you've had all this time. You can just imagine how much more they are. <laughs> and <laughs> and so then he's like, well, tell me what I can do uh, that I can escape the fate you've, got, you've had. And, and so Marley lets him know that three ghosts will come and visit him. And <laughs> I think he says over the course of three nights. Yeah. And then... He's like, okay, whatever. And, and so Marley leaves. He goes out the window, and Scrooge goes out the window, goes to the window to look out after him. And he sees outside a concourse of um, phantom like spirits, people in chains that are trying to do good and trying to help other people, but they no longer have the power to do good. They're trapped by their spiritual nature and the chains that bind them. So they they have no longer that chance to do good. Huh. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So he's so he's he's there, and, and I'm trying to think of you know, it, you know, if this were to happen to me, you know, and and uh, you know, a friend of mine came to me and said, you know, he's he's dead as a doornail, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he comes and he says, dude, you are in trouble. Like, I don't know how long it would take me to go. Maybe that was a crust of cheese. You know, maybe that was, yeah. you know, okay, I had this vision. Um, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, in that's sort of where he goes in his mind. It's like, oh, did that really happen? What really is happening to me? And he wakes up and it's midnight and he's like, can't sleep. And this ghost is supposed to be showing up. And and so he, he tries to sleep, but he can't sleep. And he's got all this stuff going on in his mind. And. Finally, um, big light comes behind the drapes of his bed, and then a hand parts the drapes. And he he said it's small like a child, but when you looked closer at it, it was like a man that had become old and small like a child. Mm. And it's, it's a very interesting specter. I love 
Ghost of Christmas Past because really it's so odd. That, yeah, because that remind, actually makes me think of, of C.S. Lewis and his, his uh, great divorce and the, you know, the, the, the people that were in hell and mm-hmm. these small specters. And, uh, excuse me. Bless you. Got a little edit can take care of. Um, but uh, these specters that, you know, are, are being coaxed and, and pressed to go to heaven with them. And, and some of them um, are so, like, there's a, there's a great um, scene where, where one of, the, uh, one of the, the just pathetic specters, like, you could see him getting smaller and smaller and smaller as, as, his, as this angel is, you know, you know, doing all she can to help him. It just makes me think of, mm-hmm. of that, you know, that image. Yeah. So, so like ghost- most people who who depict this ghost of Christmas past make it a small child, right, with a child's voice rather than a, a very very odd looking old shriveled type man with a low voice. And that's interesting. It is interesting, <laughs> huh? So, um, and 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 what's the purpose of this? Ghost of Christmas Past. All right. Christmas Past takes Ebenezer to um, a place close by this big mansion building house. And he says, do you know what this place is? And he says, oh, this is my old school. I would know it anywhere. And it's sort of like, how could I have forgotten? And a tear starts going down his cheek. Mm. And he, the ghost asks him what it is. And he brushes off and says, oh, that's a pimple. And, <laughs> and then the, he's like, let's go closer. And they go closer. And there are schoolboys running all over and around. And everyone's happy and jolly and leaving for the holidays with their families. And, and he's excited to see them all and, and happy to see all these children. And then the specter says, but not everyone's gone, are they? And Scrooge says he knew that and starts sobbing. And that's the first point you see this kind of emotion um, welling up in Ebenezer Scrooge. And you start thinking there's there's someone in there who's hurting. And so from that point, they go and see his child self. He's alone in this big room, sitting by a fire, reading. And he sees himself reading, and then he sees all of the characters that his younger self is reading about. And he gets really excited and animated talking about Alibaba and Robinson Crusoe. Was it Robinson Crusoe? Uh, <laughs> talking about all these, these different people that he's reading about as a child. But then he gets sad again. He starts to think, and, this, and the ghost asks him, what are you thinking? Like, what's going on? He says, I wish. And you wish what? Well, there was just a caroler, a little boy, and I just I just wish I'd have given him something. You start to see the wheels turning as he sees himself as a child and pities what he was. And he, as I was listening to someone, he says the three elements that this person saw that helped change Scrooge were um, nostalgia, pity, and compassion. Okay. And you see those three elements working in this scene where he's nostalgic about his youth and his playmates, but then remembers how sad it was that he was the only one neglected and forgotten. And then that drives the compassion for the little boy who caroled at his door the day before and he shut the door on. That's interesting. Yeah. That's it. That's interesting. And, I, and um, hmm. I think that's, that's a good, that's a good lesson. Like, you know, um, nostalgia, it's funny. Nostalgia is, is one of those emotions we really don't talk about a lot. And it, it, I, in my opinion, I think it's, if not the most, one of the most powerful emotions we can have. I mean, it's a longing and at the same time, uh, um, obviously a remembering, but almost it's a false remembering. Like it's remembering like the- With the, a bit of a glow, like an impressionist painting. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then putting meaning on something that, that you know, placing mm-hmm. meaning on that thing provides that feeling of, you know, 
both hopeless because it's already over and hopeful because you're hoping to, to return. Right. Um, and when I was a little, little child, we lived in a house that had the railroad through the backyard. And I went back to Vermont to, to visit all of the haunts where I was little and saw this house. And it was so far away when I was three and four, and the railroad was so close to the house. Right. <laughs> I had all of these dreams of this faraway train. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely fascinating. So, he's, so he sees this, and he's just like, and, and it just made him think of, man, I should have done then, better. Right, and then it makes him cry. And then the, they switch to the same room in the same school a lot more decrepit, um, and he's older. And this time he's pacing the room and just pacing and pacing. And then a small girl comes in the door and said it's m- much younger, much younger than he was. And and it's his little sister, Fan, who is so excited to see him and tells him that their father is much kinder than he used to be. And she asked him if he could come home, and her father relented and, and said he could come home. And so she came to pick him up. Oh. And we never know why his father sent him into school and just forgot about him. Right. But he's happier, and he gets to go home. He gets to go be a man instead of being in school anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's one happy moment in his life. That he, he's, and then they talk for a minute about his sister and— what a big heart she had and how sweet she was. And then you get the ghost asking, well, she she had children, didn't she, before she died? And, and Scrooge says, yes, one, a son. And he starts to think about his nephew a little bit. And then the scene changes again, and he's in business, and he's working for Fezziwig. And he says, Fezziwig sits in this high desk, and if the desk were any higher or he were any taller, he would hit the ceiling because the <laughs> desk is so tall. <laughs> but <laughs> it's 7 o'clock, and Fezziwig skips down from his desk and says, Ebenezer, and his his working companion, was it John? It's time for a party, and he tr- treats them really well. And because Fezziwig's so kind, and he sees and remembers and he's so happy to see it, he starts to think. And the inspector asks him what he's thinking about, and he says, well, I just wish I could say something to my Clark right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the nostalgia makes him think. And, well, it's, and it's interesting to me, um, one of the things is, is these change of scenes um, seem to happen pretty quickly. Right. And it's almost as if it's keeping him off balance. Like he's not able to really reflect too much before he's kind of brought into this next scene. Right, but most of the time when he asks, take me away, take me away, right. they won't. That's true. <laughs> and he, That's true. They're like, you, no, you, you stay to. until I say you you leave. Yeah. It, he doesn't have the choice over what he gets to see and what he doesn't. That's right, yes. <laughs> wow. So, um, But that time he meets Belle, right? He meets Belle, yeah, falls Belle. in love. And it's a beautiful, wonderful night. And then the scene changes, and it's years later. And there's the really, really sad scene with Belle telling him she's releasing him from his promise. And he's like, why? And she's like, I got engaged to a different man. You're not the same man I got engaged to. She said, when when we got engaged, we were the same with one heart. And now we're two hearts. We're two different people. And if you married me, you would regret it, and you would be miserable. And so I release you. And and it's this this time where he he starts to Which is have to reflect. He's miserable anyway, right? And it's <laughs> it's very telling that she says, "May you be happy in the life you have chosen," mm-hmm. because he has chosen the life of gain and possessions and to focus on getting rich. Where she says, "We were we were going to be happy to be poor and." be patient while we earned a life and earned an income, but you're no longer that person. Mm. And I love in The Muppet Christmas Carol, where she sings that song that's just, it's gone. That's, it, you're not here anymore, and it's gone. Yeah. 
The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Now, I've heard you say that that is the best depiction. Honestly, it is the best adaptation. The writing's compassionate. The writing is is um, engaging, and it draws you into the characters. And it it's just so uh, respectful of the book. And it doesn't try and change anyone from what the book has not but you have Michael Caine, who yeah. is probably my favorite Scrooge, because he really has the ability in that movie to display the change in the face, just very gently. And you see that beginning of, oh, I need, I should have thought of this, or, or the that hurt me just a little, yeah. and I'm feeling sad. <laughs> Wow. So, um, so Bell releases them, right? And um, to continue, yeah. <laughs> in in the Scrooge the musical. Oh yeah. After she releases them, she sings this song about happiness in the previous scene, but then she releases him because they're no longer happy, and she leaves, and he sings the super sad longing. Like, you were the one, and it's like, what have I done? And I've I've lost that chance for happiness. And so that's, I think in a lot of adaptations, you see that's the true beginning of his metamorphosis of character. It's seeing, oh my goodness, that was the choice that changed everything in my life. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, yeah in, in the book, the next scene takes him to Belle's house, married, with all these children, and everyone's happy, and everyone's enjoying, like, a Christmas by the fire, and the dad comes home, and all the children surround the father, and he gives them presents, and and then all the younger children go to bed, and the oldest daughter, who looks just like Belle used to, is sitting with his her dad, and he thinks, that could have been me. Right, right. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I mean, it just, it, there's that saying that uh, I like to quote to myself <laughs> more often than I think of the most humbling moment in a man's life is when he compares the journal he meant to write and the one mm-hmm. he actually did. Yeah. You know? And uh, and I think that's a little bit of Scrooge going, you know. Um, yeah, it's Ebenezer actually getting to see what he gave up when he chose the path he did. Right. He gave up this whole brood of loving children and a loving wife. And at, and at this point, he's, um, I mean, it's interesting because he's already given up hope. In other words, like he was almost beyond hope. Like he's, fr- again, frozen. He's, mm-hmm. he's not moving. He's damned. And, um, and by showing him this, and, and, and there's the line where he's like, why are you showing me this? This is bringing me nothing but misery. Right. You know, how, like, <laughs> like, what is the point of this? Right. And after that scene, he's like getting angry with the spirit. And the right. spirit says the memories are what they are. What the, the past is what it is. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just showing you what happened. Yeah. And I think... Um, and I think that attachment to meaning to those memories, like, like, like we all have memories of things and, and it, it, if like you and I are going to remember this podcast. Till the day we die. Till the day we die. Or after. And very differently. <laughs> probably. You know, like that's going to be, it's going to be very different from our perspectives. And so um, attaching meaning to the memory is really the, what, um, drives him insane you know yeah Um, it's what begins to to thaw the heart right and and the tears i think are the the catalyst when he sees himself as a child and he begins to cry that's sort of the beginning of the melting Mm -hmm. but then he it opens the the door for him to feel something more when he sees bell because he wouldn't have felt as much if he had just been shown bell right but seeing himself and seeing 
sort of the progression the of what got him there. Ebenezer. Yeah. <laughs> it's what what be really began to to melt him on the inside and let that heart grow three sizes that day. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Okay, so all right, so that's the end of Christmas Pass. Christmas Pass ends. And right. Where do we where do we find Scrooge when the ghost leaves? In his room again. And it's midnight again. And he's like, Oh my gosh, am I crazy? Did I just dream that? Did I did I really sleep all night and a whole day and it's midnight again? Is there something wrong with the sun and it's noon? I mean, he he's like having all these thoughts going through his head. Right. But then you get Boom, striking 12 again. Here's another spirit. And, well, but not really. The room changes and mm-hmm. and it grows vibrant and alive and green and, and light. And you can hear something in the other room. So he gets up and he goes into the other room and he begins, Dickens does, by describing the feast of food. Dickens loves food. And he will <laughs> describe it any chance he gets. So for him, and, and I would suppose for a lot of Victorians, especially working class and below, happiness almost did equate to food. Right. Life equated to food and to bounty. So Ghost of Christmas Present displays um, life, and the evidence of that is this massive feast mm-hmm. of food. But, and it's so abundant. It's, yeah. it's, it's never-ending. It's always... Right. And his his character is jovial and he's laughing and he's a giant of a being, fills the whole room. But as they go from scene to scene, he mentions that even though he's a giant of a being, it doesn't seem to matter the size of the place or the size of the doorway, he fits into it. (laughs) Ah, yes. That's wild. And and, and, and what is the ghost? I mean, it's interesting because the ghost of... Christmas past, you can really understand, like trying to show this right. is where you screwed up. Ghost of Christmas future, we'll talk about that, but you can see the point. <laughs> what is the point of the ghost of Christmas present? What is he Present to- takes him out into the streets of London, and he sees people getting ready for Christmas, people buying food with their wicker baskets, and the ghost has a torch, and, and it's an odd torch. And it's like has sparkles, you know, that kind of thing. But he, he'll touch the baskets of Christmas food and instantly, you know, happiness. And there are people arguing in the streets. He'll touch them each with his torch, like sprinkle them. And they instantly have that feeling of goodwill again and happiness. And Scrooge notices that the poorer they are, the more he seems to use his torch and he asks him why, and he says, the poor need it more. And so he gives them a greater dosing of his goodwill from his torch. And so they do that for a bit. And then they end up at, at the Cratchit home. And you get that lovely scene with um, Mrs. Cratchit and the majority of the children, and then Martha coming home from her work. And everyone being so excited that she's home for Christmas. And then she hides behind the door And when the father comes home and Bob comes in the door carrying his young son, Tim, and it says, when he describes him, he was very small and um, attached to a crutch and had an iron frame around him. So uh, he comes in and he's like, oh, where's Martha? Oh, Martha couldn't make it home. And he starts getting so sad and it says Martha couldn't handle to see her father disappointed when there was no need, especially at Christmas, she jumps out from behind the door. And they have this lovely Christmas time with this meager goose, but everyone's so excited about the goose because, you know, they said it's the one day of the year they wouldn't go to bed hungry. And they have this plum pudding, but no one in their right mind would think to complain about or, or comment on the size of the pudding or it being too small for such a large family. No one would dream of that. But they have this, you know, just jovial communal feast as a family and Scrooge is baffled by this isn't he a little bit but he he he, I mean, he say something like like um you know how can they have so little and and yet you know it, yeah yeah that effect he he sees that but he's almost preoccupied with the thoughts of tim and because right. tim is 
really sweet. And you get that line with Cratchit talking to his wife. Bob talks to his wife about being in church. And he said, you would have been so proud of our Tim today. We were in church, and he said he hoped that people passing by would see him because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant for them upon Christmas Day to remember who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. And you get that, that, oh my goodness, what a spiritual, sweet child. But you also get that thought in as you read or you listen or you hear uh, and see this, that I should be thinking that when I see someone. That should strike in me the compassion. I should remember who it is. And so that's that little reminder said through the voice of a very small child. Well, and, and Tiny Tim is like, embodiment of goodness like, like right. he's like innocence and purity at <laughs> 100% like here's just like there's i mean yeah he's just absolutely innocent he's absolutely good he's absolutely like everything about him right. is a light right and yet he has this terrible debilitating ailment yeah they say dickens based it on his 5 year old nephew who was a crippled little boy just uh-huh. a very frail tiny boy and so that's what he he based Tim on this little tiny Tim was based on his nephew, and it's also I think like you see it's funny because because uh, um, uh, in a way like we can see ourselves as Tim. In other words, we're all broken, and it's our, all about our outlook on life. It's all about how do we see like you know True. if we if we saw ourselves as a blessing to others in our worst state, like who thinks of that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that pure positivity. <laughs> right, right, and uh, you know that, and it's interesting that, that 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 it is him that really that 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 Scrooge can relate to, because he remembers being a broken little boy. Mm. He might have been broken physically, but he was sure broken spiritually. Right, and so he does connect. <laughs> Fascinating! Oh wow! So so they're watching this. Right, and then you've got the end of the feast, and everyone has their glass, and 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 Bob is just such a good guy, and he wants to drink a toast to Ebenezer Scrooge's boss because he does pay him, and he's the founder of the feast. You know, right. and his wife gets upset, but he's like, "Come on, dear, Christmas Day," <laughs> and she's like, oh, "Fine, that uh, he'll be very merry and happy. I have no doubt." Right. <laughs> right. And then afterward, they they um, I, I, they talk about having stories and songs, and they mentioned Tim has a pure and, and melodic voice kind of thing. Right. And most of the adaptations, anything that has music, has him singing. Yeah. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol, he sings in the musical Scrooge musical. He sings this song about beautiful this, on the beautiful day that I dream about in the world that I long to see. Just everything that can display the innocence and purity of the very small frail boy. Yeah. That's that's interesting, yeah. Um, But from there, I mean, Scrooge is so baffled, as you said, that they're poor but can be so happy. So the Christmas present takes him on this journey, like almost around the world, (laughs) seemingly. You know, he takes him to country houses, to mining, to to mines, and he takes him to a lighthouse and just everywhere where they're really poor, but they're happy and they're all celebrating and enjoying Christmas. And it doesn't matter that they don't have any money. They have Christmas and the hope of Christmas. And he, they, they end that scene over the water. And he's like, we're just frightened and upset that he's over, like, over water. And then instantly, almost, he's at his na- nephew's house. He's at Fred's house, yeah. where he'd been invited for dinner, but That's had right. refused him. <laughs> And and this is the, the scene where he finds his happy side because Fred and his wife and her sister and all of their friends are there. And it's like 20 people having dinner, playing games, and um, Scrooge just gets involved. Ebenezer wants to be part of it, and he's happy, and he's enjoying it, and... and and then the ghost wants to take him away. He says, no, look, they're playing one more game. Just one more game. Can we stay one more game? And they stay. And he's like, oh, I've got a game, a great game. Uh, and they play a guessing game. <laughs> and, oh, 
<laughs> you know, we're animal vegetable mineral and it's animal and it ends up being Ebenezer Scrooge. And and then Fred says, oh, do I, did I mark that one? He, he says, it was so nice of him. We have had such fun due to my uncle Scrooge. Let's toast his health. And so everyone toasts his health and, and Ebenezer sort of forgets that no one can see him or hear him. And he would, it says he would inaudibly like give a speech because he was just so happy, and but the spirit the the spirit of Christmas present wrenched him away, and and then you he he's like left in the middle of the town, and the ghost the final specter comes, and and he's alone. He's just he's alone, and it's dark, and then you get to the the um gross part of London where you get the old guy um, and the, the old crony women and another old man with bags of things and they have all come in to sell their things to this one man and they, they're talking about this man who died and and dividing the spoils and trying to earn all as much money as they can from his things and you know everything from his his drapes from his bed to his night clothes to the suit they were going to bury him in. Right. You know, just all of the, it just, why would anyone um, invade that kind of intimate <laughs> moment of death to gain from it? And so he's like, oh, that can't have been a nice person. He's like, this poor case, of, the case of this poor man could be my own. My life tends this way now. And <laughs> they end up, in a, a room, and there's a body under a sheet, uh -huh. and the ghost points and wants him to go look, and he finds that he can't, he cannot move closer, he can't do it, and he tells he tells him, I can't do it. Right. Yeah, but because he he's, he knows who it is, he's, he in inside, deep inside, yeah. he has this feeling, and they end up going through the city, all these places, everyone's talking in such happy terms that this man's dead. No one cares. They end up in one house because uh, he says, show me some feeling about this death. And they, they end up in one house and this wife is, this mother is just anxious and sewing and, and careworn and there are these, all these children. And then this husband comes home and he's, you can tell, he says, that he's happy but feeling bad about it. Right. And the wife's like, what's going on? What's wrong? What's what's happened? Tell me what's happened. Is it good or is it bad? And he's like, well, bad but good. You know, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he said, I, I went to go ask Scrooge last night for an extension. And the, there was an old woman at the door and she said he wasn't, he was ill and I, I thought they just weren't letting me in, but apparently she was telling the truth because he died. And so they're both like happy, but then feeling um, remorse about feeling happiness because right. <laughs> you shouldn't feel happy that someone's dead. And so then Scrooge said, That is kind of like the worst insult. Like if you're so bad, yeah. people are actually rejoicing over your death. And in their religious, so you're very Christian, and they know it's unchristian to to feel happy about someone feeling dead. So they're feeling so guilty about it. But Scrooge tells the, the ghost of Christmas future, he says, show me a death a compassion with compassion attached, or else these scenes will never leave me. And so there you go to the Cratchit home, where... The house that was so happy and full of joy is silent, and the children are all just sort of in one corner. And the wife, um, Mrs. Cratchit, is wiping her eyes and saying, I can't let your father see my weak eyes. And he's not home yet. Where is he? And he's walked slower these past couple days. And, and he comes in and talks about how he visited Tim, where Tim's buried, and he said, you should go and see it. It's a nice place. It overlooks the city. It overlooks place. You know, you would like it. Right. And, and so there's your sad but tender and compassionate, compassionate death. Right. And then you get him going to the graveyard, of course, right. where he's Which forced— Which is where 
Dickens came up with the idea. In the right. <laughs> and here he's forced to actually see that it's his name. Yeah. And there you get that that moment that everyone who has to change gets. It's the lowest point you can get when you fall to your knees and you've got nowhere else to go. And that anguish of your spirit cries out for help and compassion from God. And that's where he ended up. Please, please help me change this future. I am so different now than I was when this started. Please help me sponge away the writing from this stone. And he he, he just has this beautiful speech. Mm-hmm. You know, I will I will keep I will keep it in my heart. I will do what I can. Just please help me change this. Don't let this be the end. Don't let this be my fate. Right. And then you've got him in his bed again. And it's midnight. <laughs> or you know, it's like time. Yeah. Or is or is it just morning? And um and he's like, what? Wait, what happened? Right. <laughs> and if he's I'm like, his? what day is it? What month is it? Right. What year is it? <laughs> and he goes to the, the the window and opens the window and the church bells begin to peal louder and bigger than he's ever heard them before. And that's when he asks, what day is it? And he hears that it's Christmas Day. And then he buys the super huge turkey which was just coming into vogue sort of in Victorian England, this massive turkey, yeah. sends it off to the Cratchit's house, pays for um, a taxi for the the guy to deliver it, and, you know, and, and just... Uh, and, just exudes his... Yeah. His, yeah, just... just. It's, it's like when you have a deep change of heart, you can't help but have external manifestations of it. And for him, he was so unused to it that it bubbled over his giddiness. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like a teenage girl. Everything just makes him giddy and giggle, and, the, and he just wants in, to dance in, and uh, jump. I can't remember which which adaptation, which movie, but where he's like he's literally swinging from the rafters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the the maid is like, "Who is this guy? <laughs> you know, you nuts." Yeah. So I can try to remember my favorite versions of this, and and. Michael Caine, of course, but Patrick Stewart. That scene is brilliant when he does it. And if you go way, way back to Alistair Sim, his his version is so great because he's so old and yeah. But you've got that giddiness, and he it just bubbles over, and he can't help himself. And he takes himself to Fred's house and knocks on the door after walking past like twelve times because he's so nervous. That's awesome. <laughs> By the way, I love that. I love the fact that, that he was nervous. You know, he just didn't know what to do with himself. And he didn't yeah. know how he'd be, you know, accepted. He, and at some point, he just didn't care. <laughs> but he'd listened to all of the speech that Fred had said. And Fred had talked about him. And he said, you know, his choices are his own. I can't fault him for his choices. He has to live with them. I don't. Right. I will go every year and make an invitation and try and get him Which to. Is such a great lesson. It is. He tries every year to build a relationship with this uncle, who's his only living relative, and so you can tell like why Scrooge would be nervous because he'd been there, he'd seen what fun they were having, and right. they'd sort of been making fun of him. So would they accept him? <laughs> you know. Yeah. But after twelve times walking past the door, he gets up the nerve and knocks on the door, and they. They invite him in, and he gets to join in and have a wonderful Christmas day. And, and it says that all those people were there, and they did play all the games, and they had a wonderful time. And it was a beautiful Christmas. And he goes home, and then the next morning he goes early to work, and he just hopes, crossing his fingers, just hoping that Bob Cratchit's going to be late because everything hinges on him being late. Because <laughs> now you get the mischievous little boy coming back. <laughs> And so, and Bob is 18 minutes late. And he's, he comes and saying, I am so sorry. I'm behind my time. I made rather merry yesterday. He's, you are late. (laughs) And you end up with that. Therefore, I have no choice but to raise your salary. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's really, you know, it's amazing. The change of heart um, is is one that just when it happens. Well, I know when it happens to me, and it happens, you know, like, like daily. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but when I when when 
when I actually like am able to look at somebody not as um, like an object, you know, walking down the street, but as a person, as a child of God, as somebody that like is, is, um, you know, just as important as I am, you know, it, it changes perspective in a major way. And, and you can't help but feel that compassion. You can't help. Right. It's just a beautiful scene. Do you want to know what I did? I skipped Dickens' portion with Christmas present, just like everyone else does in their adaptations. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> After they'd been around and they'd gone to Fred and, and present's about to leave. Right. Because he's grown old and he's about to leave, but Scrooge sees like something like a cloth sticking out from under his robe. He says, what is that? Is that a claw or is that a foot? And, and present says... It might as well be a claw for all the flesh attached to it. And he opens his robe, and there's this scrawny, mousy, dirty, wolf-like boy and girl. And he says, yeah. who are they? And he says, that's ignorance and want. And he's like, can't you help them? He's like, these are yours. These are human kinds. These, you guys created these. Yeah. It's your job to fix them. And you get that whole dissertation that Dickens wanted to get out and the whole purpose for writing it and in the and again, and then I skipped it. <laughs> <laughs> there are some adaptations that put it in. The Patrick Stewart version does. Um, Alistair yeah. Sim way, way back does. Um, yeah, but. <laughs> so what, um, yeah, let's talk real quick. What, what You mentioned a couple. What are the best adaptations that somebody wants to, other than read the actual story itself? Definitely, definitely <laughs> Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, it's arguably the best and it has wonderful costumes they just everything they paid attention to everything from costuming to dialogue to character and it all works beautifully together it's not a ridiculous version um after that probably comes to me patrick stewart mm -hmm. and then go way back to alistair simon that would be my third i liked scrooge the musical but i don't care for Albert Finney very much. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. So I, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The costuming. <laughs> I, I, I was in that on stage and love the music and love the script, but I really don't like the film version. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> what? Um. But if you can see it as a one-man show, it sort of breaks down, so you have to focus. And a one-man show is brilliant. Also, um, favorite, favorite of all, I had a friend who performed it as Dickens. Mm. So it was like Dickens doing the dramatic reading, absolutely the best in a darkened room with just the, the little glow of the lights. Yeah. If you can ever do that, that is the best. And there are like a couple of dramatic readings on YouTube um, that, are, that are okay. Yeah. And... Yeah, but definitely, if you can, the Muppet Christmas Carol, you have to get the extended version. Otherwise, they cut out Belle's song, which oh. makes me very sad. <laughs> you got to have Belle's song. Belle's song is so lovely. <laughs> um, just to finish up. To finish up, you've got the last paragraph, which yeah. is the whole purpose of the book. And it's my favorite, absolute favorite. And you've got it where it says, and Scrooge was better than his word. See if I can find it. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the whole good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the, in the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes and grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. 
Aubrey Jolly, thanks for sharing your spirit and your time and, and your knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. It was fun. So I hope you guys all pull out Christmas Carol. This is And If Love Remains.